Well, good morning. My name is uh, Rick Smith, and I am um, on staff here at Watermark. I am the uh, pastor of digital ministry. If you have no idea what that means, come find me later. I'll tell you. It means I tweet and blog all day and made a career out of that. So I'd love to tell you more about that. Um, But as we get started this morning, I have a question. And my question is this. Do we have any gamers here this morning? Does anybody even know what a gamer is? No shame. There's somebody in the back. He plays World of Warcraft. All right. That's cool. Um, okay, well, let me ask another question. Do we have any people here this morning that grew up in the 80s, that are 80s people? You are a fan, a lot, there we go, a lot more. Now, if you are a fan of the 80s, I grew up in the 80s, and um, there's one thing about the 80s that many of us in this room are very familiar with. I'll put a picture of it up on the screen. It's this Donkey Kong machine. Did any of you give a lot of your quarters to Donkey Kong? There you go, okay. So Donkey Kong. So if you're also a Netflix fan, you'll find a movie on Netflix called King of Kong, a fistful of quarters, okay? And so King of Kong, fistful of quarters, tells a story about a guy named Steve Webby. I have Steve Webby up here. And Steve Webby was a Boeing engineer who was laid off and became a school teacher. Um, during that time, he found out about another guy named Billy Mitchell. Billy Mitchell, I'll put his picture up here. Billy Mitchell, there he is, real cool looking guy. Uh, kind of creepy. But Billy Mitchell held the world's highest score at Donkey Kong. He, he held the high score at 874,000 points at Donkey Kong. And so um, Steve Webby said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to quit my job as a school teacher. He beca- once he got laid off, he became a school teacher. He said, I'm going to quit my job as a school teacher. I'm going to buy a Donkey Kong arcade machine. I'm going to put it in the basement of my house. So he quit his job to do this, put it in the basement of his house, and he set out to get the high score on Donkey Kong, he wanted to beat his nemesis here and, and get the high score of Donkey Kong. So the whole movie is about his pursuit of becoming the world's greatest Donkey Kong player. And, and so the movie is actually sort of, sort of sad because in the movie, there's these scenes where his wife is calling him saying, hey, Steve, come on up and eat dinner. And he's like, not, not right now, babe, save me some chicken. And there's another scene where his kids come down. Hey, daddy, can you come play with us? I'm not kidding you. He stiffs arms his kids and says, hey, daddy will be back later. You know, daddy will come later. And so it's really sad. But here's the really cool thing. At the end of the movie, spoiler alert, if you're going to see it, he becomes the world's greatest Donkey Kong player and, and achieves the high score of one million Six points. And there's a little picture here of all of his family on the next picture here. They're, they're not really that happy. I'm sure that's a stock image. <laughs> but that, that's his family. They're like really upset about that. Um, but he becomes the, the world's greatest high scorer, uh, the world's greatest Donkey Kong player. And you may be wondering, like I was wondering, what does the world's greatest Donkey Kong player get? I mean, surely you get a royalty check or you get something somewhere, a plaque. He actually got, this is really awesome. He and his family actually got a pizza party complete with balloons. Okay, that's what happens at the end of the movie. Now, here's where it gets even more messed up. So after all this, after several years of giving his life to becoming the world's greatest Donkey Kong player, at the end of the movie, several months after he becomes the world's greatest player, Billy Mitchell comes back and regains his high score of 1,047,000 points. And Steve Webby has yet to come back as the king. So after all that time, after all that pursuit, after giving his life to becoming the world's greatest Donkey Kong player, just a few months later, the other champion comes and just takes it all back. You know, we laugh at that story of Steve Webby, but but the story is actually sort of tragic, right? It's tragic in a couple of different ways, but it's really ultimately tragic, not because Steve Webby wasn't faithful, right? 
Because if we can say anything about Steve Webby, we can say that Steve Webby, and I'm sure if you ask his wife, she would say, hey, Steve is a very, very faithful guy. So the problem isn't that Steve was faithful. The problem is that Steve was faithful to the wrong things. You see, it's very, very, very easy to be faithful to something. It's very easy to be faithful to something, but where it gets hard is being faithful to the right things. See, being faithful is easy. Being faithful to the right things is incredibly difficult. Being faithful is easy. Being faithful to the right things is difficult. And see, as guys, as men, we want to make a mark. We want to be successful. We want to be faithful. We want to find significance in something. That's why we work so hard. We want to do that. And so this morning, what we're going to look at real briefly is three quick things. One, where significance is never found. We're going to say, hey, where is significance never found? We're going to look at a realization that changes everything in our life. And then we're going to end by this. How do you live a life of ultimate significance? How do you make your life really count for something? So if you have your Bibles, if you'll grab those and open those up to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'm a little different than the other guys that come and that I don't put any scripture up here because I want you to look with me. I want you to see that I'm not making this up. And so if you have a Bible, an iPad, an iPhone, if you'll flip there with me. And the first thing we're going to see this morning is this significance isn't found in anything on earth. Significance isn't found in anything on earth. Um, Solomon, we're going to see, you guys know, you, get, you guys were here for the intro, and you know about Solomon, the, the wisest person, the smartest person, the most uh, wealthy person to ever live. And, and so we have a lot to learn from Solomon, and here's what he says. He, Solomon says, hey, Nothing on earth will ultimately satisfy you. It will never give you significance. Look with me, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, hey, I've said in my heart, come now and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, it is pleasure. What use of it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. Then skip down, verse 4. He says, I have made great works. This is Solomon talking. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made for myself gardens and parks, and I planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made for myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. The guy said, man, I've made the best houses, the, the best landscaping. In fact, my landscaping was so awesome, I had my own pools, my own water to water my landscapes. It was amazing. And he says, I bought female and female slaves. And I had slaves who were even born in my house. I had generations of slaves. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks. Get this, more than any other who had ever lived before me in Jerusalem. Meaning there has never been a person in all of history that has had as much stuff as I have had. Keep going. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and providences. I got singers and concubines, the delight of children. So he says, I got houses, I got cars, I've got, uh, not cars, I've got cattle. He says, man, I don't, I don't go to the Colosseum to see singers. I hire singers and entertainers and bring them to my palace. I've got it all. Verse nine, I became great. Get this, I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. I'm better than anyone who has ever lived. I had more than any person who has ever lived before me in Jerusalem. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure. 
for my heart found pleasure in all my toils, and this was the reward. So in other words, he says, man, I have it all. I have it all. Some of us in this room, we can relate to that. He says, hey, anything my eye wanted, anything I want, it doesn't matter if it's God's way, doesn't matter if that's what God wants, anything my eye wanted, I got it. And here's what he says in the very end here, verse 11. And behold, all of it was vanity and a striving after the wind. In other words, Solomon says, hey, anything that I could have in the earth, anything in all of the world, imagine that. You go to Google, you type it in, anything that you want, you get it. You don't worry about a credit card bill. You don't worry about your wife getting upset. He says, everything I wanted, I had, and it was empty. Nothing in the world, nothing in all of the world could satisfy me. He said, it was like chasing after the wind. It was nothing. You see, you and I, we have to understand what Solomon understand that significance cannot be found on earth. And so I hope if anything else you get this morning, I hope you walk away with that. Nothing on earth will ever, ever, ever satisfy you. You know, when I was, um, before I came to ministry, I was in sales. And so I worked at Sprint and, and um, I remember making like $40,000 and thinking, man, that's like a bazillion dollars. You know, when you're, I didn't have any college, I was in outside sales and I thought, man, I'm just going to keep doing this. And I remember one year I got this plaque and it was like salesman of the year or rep of the year or something. And I think they got it at Things Remembered and it had my name on it. And I kept that thing until I was almost 30. It was so awesome. Like I wasn't even, I mean, it didn't even mean anything, but I thought, man, this is awesome. I remember how many hours, how many open enrollments I went to to sell people's cell phones to get this little award. And it nothing. In fact, I wanted to bring it this morning and show it to you, but I don't even know where it is anymore. But I remember giving my whole life, spending hours and hours and hours working to get this little plaque with my name. And it means nothing. See, some of you in this room, you know what I'm talking about. You give your entire life to trying to build something here and that will never, ever satisfy. You know, John D. Rockefeller, you've probably heard this quote before. They asked him, hey, you have all this money, all this stuff. When is enough money When do you know if you had enough? And he said, whenever I get one more dollar. See, it can never satisfy us. You see, but shortly after this passage, Solomon had this realization and this realization changed everything for him. Keep looking with me. Verse 15, he talks about the wise person, the foolish person. And here's what he realizes. In verse 15, he says, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool, what happens to the fool will also happen To me, why then have I been so wise? And I said in my heart, this is also vanity. For the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will be long forgotten. See, Solomon had this realization and he realized this. He realized that every person on the planet is heading to the same place. The Bible says it's appointed for a man to die once and then come judgment. And what Solomon realizes, hey, the rich, the poor, The wise, the foolish, they're all headed to the same place, the grave. And Solomon realized this, that life is temporary. He realized life is temporary. God says that life is like a vapor. It's here and gone. I want to show you the world's largest sandcastle. You know they have sandcastle competitions. This is the world's largest sandcastle. This thing is crazy. Um, It took him, it's 37 feet high. There was another picture with a tow truck or a dump truck. And the dump truck was way down here. Um, and, and the sandcastle was just towering above it. Something like 1.4 million pounds of sand, four months to build. He bought a trailer and moved next to the sandcastle so that he could work on the sandcastle. It's pretty phenomenal. 
um, and, and he won the award. They do this every single year. I want to show you another sandcastle. This is a sandcastle that my son Noah made. This sandcastle took two minutes to build. Um, we put sand in a bucket, dumped the bucket upside down, lifted it, and voila, a sandcastle. Um, do you know what these two sandcastles have in common? Uh, both of these sandcastles are one wave away from being at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> as awesome as that sandcastle is, it's built of sand, you know? It's built of sand. And so what Solomon realizes here is our life is sort of like these sandcastles. As awesome as you make it, as magnificent as you make it, we're one breath away from heading back to dust. Life is temporary. And it doesn't matter how phenomenal your sandcastle is or how puny your sandcastle is. At the end of the day, we're one wave away, one breath away. This life is fleeting. You see, this life is fleeting, but not only is life temporary, but get this, he has another realization. Fame is fleeting. Look at this, 16b, he says it like this. He says, seeing that in the days to come, all will be long forgotten. All will be long forgotten. You know, all of us want a little fame, don't we? I mean, let's be honest this morning. All of us want to be recognized for something I do. All of us want to be acknowledged All of us want to be, you know, there's a fine line between encouragement. I'm a words of affirmation guy. I really appreciate it when people tell me nice and kind things that, that helps me that, 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 but sometimes it, it it creeps into sin, right? Sometimes I just want to be known, right? Sometimes I want my name on the side of the building. How about you guys? Sometimes we want a little fame. Steve Webby wanted a little fame. We all want to be known for something. You know, what, what do you want to be known for today? You know, what is the area in your life that if you're not abiding with God and you're not abiding with God's people, you go, man, I can creep over here. You know, what do you want to be known for today? And what Solomon's saying, hey, life is a vapor, man. Not only is it a vapor, fame is fleeting. Let me show you something. Raise your hand. We do a little illustration. Raise your hand if you know your grandparents' first name. So, you know your, I do, Hazel and Herman Carl. Okay, keep your hand up. Some of you don't even know your grandparents' name. That is messed up. Okay, (laughs) you need to write a Christmas card. Okay. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up if you know your great-grandparent's name. It's okay. No shame. Okay. Awesome. Keep your hand up if you know your great-great-grandparent's name. Now, listen, if you have an Ancestry.com membership or whatever, put your hand down, okay? Or if your name's like John Wayne the 20th, put your hand down. Okay. Look around. Look around. You, sir, are awesome. You can put your hand down. One person. Look around. Now, let let me really freak you out. JP was telling me he did the math, so I trust JP. 90 years, 90 years your great-great-grandparents were alive. About every 30 years, a new generation. Look around. Less than 100 years, not that you don't even know what your great-great-grandparents did and what, what they, you know, what their career was like. You don't even know their first name. Let that sink in. Less than 100 years. In other words, get this. In a hundred years from now, in a hundred years from now, all of us are going to be dead. All of our children are going to be dead. No one is going to be sitting around talking about us. No one's going to be bragging on us. No one's going to be remembering our accolades. We're gone. And we're going to be hopefully with the king. See, fame is fleeting. Life is fleeting. In a hundred years from now, there's only one thing that's going to matter. And it's not going to be that you have the Apple Watch. And a hundred years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is a person's relationship with God. 
And a hundred years from now, the only thing that's going to matter, the only thing significant isn't going to be our sandcastles, I will assure you. And a hundred years from now, the only thing that matters is a person's relationship with God. You see, true significance, we're going to end with this, true significance is found when we focus on the eternal, not the temporal. When we focus on the eternal, not the temporal. Verse 24, Solomon says, man, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat or drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This I saw is from God. And he does a sentence right here in verse 25. Don't miss it. It's everything. He says, for apart from him, for apart from him who can eat or have enjoyment. You know, Solomon knew that true significance, true worth, everything is only found in our relationship with God. All enjoyment, all significance on earth is directly related to our relationship with God. Because like I said, in a hundred years, the only thing that's going to matter is a person's relationship with God. That's it. That's the only thing that's going to matter. It's the only thing that's going to last. So I want to ask you two questions this morning. One is your relationship with God. How is your relationship with God this morning? Are you walking with him? Are you abiding with him? Are you walking with other people that know him and then you let those people into your life and you say, hey, look at me, help me, help me see how God sees. One, how is your relationship with God? The other question is, how, who looks more like Jesus because of you? So who in your life could you call up right now or we call up and, and they go, hey, because of Eric, I'm more like Christ. You know, because of Eric, because of his faithfulness to me, I'm more like Christ. You see, the extent that you pour your life out for others is the extent that you'll outlive your life. The extent that you give your life away to other people is the extent that you'll outlive your life. This is the secret to significance. To the extent that you give your life away is the extent that you'll outlive your life. And you may think one person can't make a difference, right? You may think, well, there's lots of other people. You guys get paid to work at a church, so surely that's what you guys do all day. But listen, um, there's a little principle called multiplication. It, came out, it comes out of 2 Timothy 2, right? And it says there's you. And if you were to, this actually, if you were to just take two people, if you were to just take two people and spend time with them, disciple them is the word the Bible says. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, man, that you would pass this on to other men. And those two would disciple two people, those two. Do you know at the end of like 30 cycles of that, there's like a million people touched? I couldn't even put it all down. That by just you spending time with two people, you don't have to change the world. You just change the life of two people. That those two people then would go on and those two people would go on and you make a difference. You know, there's lots of guys around Watermark that I see, lots of guys that I know that do this well. I think about my friend Bobby Karate, who leads our men's ministry. If you're ever here during the day and you go to the coffee shop, that guy is meeting with a different guy in the coffee shop every time I see him. <clears throat> because he gets this and he gets, man, the extent, he, life is going by. And to the extent that I can give my life and pour my life out to other people, that's the extent that I'll find significance. Not in making a million dollars. Some of you have made a million dollars and you can testify that's not life-giving. Not in having the biggest house on the block. True significance is found when we pour our life out for others and you can change the world. I'm gonna end with one quick story and show you how this works. I heard a story about a guy who came from a a long line of alcoholics. His, His family were alcoholics. His dad was an alcoholic. His mom was a high school dropout and he dropped out of high school and he ran away from home. And so this high school dropout, he one day ended up at this church just through happenstance. 
and he heard a guy talking about God and it, and it blew his mind because he had never heard anybody talk about God like that before. And he goes, hey, after it was over, he kind of stalked the pastor and he goes, hey, can you teach me more about, can you teach me more about God like that, like you were talking about God? Because I, I don't know God like you know God. Can you help me learn? And so the pastor goes, hey, I'm really busy, but if you can come to this place at this time on this day, I'll, be, I'll, I'll tell you more about God. And so the young man drove across town to a place he'd never been before and he met the pastor and he goes, hey, thank you for meeting with me. The pastor talked to him about God. And at the end of that meeting, the young man said, hey, you've got to tell me more. You've got to tell me more because I've never heard anybody talk about God the way you talk about God. Can you tell me more? And the pastor goes, man, I'm really busy. And the, and the guy said, man, you've got to tell me more. So the pastor said, hey, if you'll meet me at this time, at this place, I'll tell you more. So this relationship began to develop. Then the pastor had his number listed in the phone book and the young man would call the pastor on the phone and say, you've got to tell me more about God. And no matter how busy the pastor was, the pastor would answer the phone and answer the young man's questions about God. 17 years later, the pastor is named Todd Wagner. The young man in the story is named Rick Smith. You see, my life was changed because a guy who was really busy spent time to disciple me and to tell me more about God. And my life has changed. And so even though my family tree is really messed up, I'm the first person in my family to really walk with God. And now I get a chance to disciple my two kids and to tell them about God. See, all because someone took the time not to make a name for themselves, but they took time to invest in me. You see, I was even looking through stuff. I couldn't find that Sprint Award. But what's funny is I found this book that Todd sent me like 17 years ago, and he wrote a little note of encouragement in there. And I remember because I was at church camp, and no one sent me anything. My parents didn't send me anything. They didn't have any money to send me anything. And he sent me this book. And I kept it with me because it was such a big deal that someone would take time to invest in me. And it changed my life, and it changed the life of my family, all because of that. So I want to ask you this as we go this morning. One, two quick things. What's your Donkey Kong? You know, what's the thing that you go, man, I'm pouring my life into this thing and it's worthless. At the end of the day, even if you get the high score, even if you get the best bank account, it's worthless. It's vanity. It's nothing. What is that area for you? I want you to think about that. What's the area that you go, man, I can really quickly go to find significance in this one thing. And then the second thing is this. Who are you discipling? Who today looks more like Christ because of your relationship with them? And if you don't have that person, man, there's no shame in that. And so in your group, say, man, I hope you go, man, I don't have anyone like that. I want to have a story like that. We have opportunities at Watermark. If you're a member here to help you get plugged in and disciple people, wherever church you go to, if it's not Watermark, man, I hope you're serving. I hope you're giving your life away because in the end, that's the only thing that's going to matter. The only way you're going to make significance isn't in your stuff. It's in the way that you pour your life out for other people. And so if you have someone like this, I'm going to challenge you to do something. We, you know, um, Todd, Todd actually challenges us to do this sometimes. And I'm, going to, and I'm going to steal his idea and tell it to you. But I want you to just text them today as you leave. And I want you to encourage them. I want you to go, hey, I want to go ahead. I know we said we were going to get together for coffee and we keep saying we're going to do it. Let's put something on the calendar. Let's do it. And so I want to challenge you today. If there's a person in your life that you have, man, that you reach out to them today, even as you leave the Bible study this morning, you go, man, I want to get together with you. I want to teach you. I want to help you. I want to disciple you. I want to spend time with you. Because that's how you make significance. In a room full of men like this, if we could do that, if we had several hundred men pour into people, could you imagine the effect that would have on our city and our world? All because you took time not to build a sandcastle that's one wave away from being at the bottom of the ocean, but because you took time to invest in the next generation of people. Because you never know when the punk kid in your life is going to become a pastor because you spent time with them. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us to our own, that you haven't left us to try to find life in all the wrong places, that you haven't left us to try to make a name for ourselves. Man, we're, we're no fools. We know that life is short, fame is fleeting, and we want to make an impact. Man, we really do want to change the world, and we want to live, outlive our life. And so I thank you for your word that you tell us that when we pour our life out to other people, things change. Significance is made. And so I pray today, just today, I pray that you would help us to find our significance in the things that really matter, that we would not find significance in trinkets and treasures, uh, but our significance would be found in you and our relationship with you and the way that we love other people. So we need your help to do that. And so we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.